All right. Second Thessalonians chapter 1. And we will be zeroing in on verses 11 and 12. And we're calling this study Living for the Glory of God. But I want to back up a little bit into verse 5. Because you see at verse 11, it says, Therefore, and you know, whenever the Bible says therefore, you have to stop and ask. Oh, you've heard that before. Good. So you don't know unless you read ahead. So... Um, uh, or read, read back. So let's back up into verse 5 and come on down. It says, Which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom for which you also suffer, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. So, they get rest. Um, verse 8, not so much for those that are afflicting them. Inflaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe, because our testimony among you was believed. Therefore, we also pray always that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is exhorting the believers in light of the coming, or the, the, the parousia, as it called, the coming of the Lord, that we should be living a particular way, that we should live in a way that we are, when we're examined, that we are found worthy of the call that has been upon our life. He wants them to live out their faith in light of the calling uh, on their faith and in light of the coming of Jesus Christ. Now, it is true, without a doubt, that nobody knows the day or the hour that the Lord is coming. And unfortunately, there have been no shortage of people that have wanted to try and pick that date and say he's coming on this day and that day. And guess what? They have all been wrong. False prophets. You don't go picking dates. That's, you just don't do that. But, and I think what's happened, though, is that there's developed this... Um, well, of course, we should be leery and should not even receive anybody who's going to set a date. But I think there's been a, a, an unintended consequence on the church that's like, well, let's just leave this whole, you know, second coming of Jesus and the coming of the Lord alone because we don't want to deal with that because, you know, so many people have been wrong. No, I want you to see this. The Holy Spirit inspired Paul to talk about the coming of the Lord, knowing, the Holy Spirit knowing, right, that the Lord would not come back in that generation, and yet he still talked about the coming of the Lord and used it as a means for motivating them to live a worthy walk. So, yeah, people have mishandled it, but that's no reason for us to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We must continue to allow the work of the Holy, or the work of the of the uh, coming of the Lord to impact our life and the way we live it. And it is a great motivator for how we live our life. We begin looking at verse 11. He says, therefore, we also pray always for you. Prayer is an indispensable work within the church. It's what the leaders were doing. It's what they were supposed to do. 
Um, it's what I'm supposed to do, is to be in prayer for you. You know, most of the prayers in the New Testament writers, as they inform a group of people, I'm praying for you, most of those prayers were for people that were doing excellent in their walk with the Lord. There was the exhortations and the rebukes that were given to those that weren't doing well. I don't know if you make a big, strong theological conclusion about that, but it's just an observation. As that prayer is often for those that were doing really well in their walk with the Lord. And Paul is praying for this church that is doing well in their walk with the Lord. You know, when Jesus was living out his last week on earth before the cross, he went into the temple and he saw them selling and trading and ripping the worshipers off. He turned the tables over of the money changers. He let the, those that were selling the doves, he let them loose, drove them out. And he said this. He says, my father's house shall be a house of what? Prayer. This is what it's supposed to be. And I believe that is exactly true for the house of the Lord today. That we, the temple of the Lord, the church of Jesus Christ, should be a place where prayer is happening. Jesus also said, speaking of the last days, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? And that was in the context of prayer. Think about it. Jesus wondered if he would find faith and people would be praying. Well, who prays? His followers pray. And he wondered if there would be a generation that would be committed to prayer. Prayer is our privilege and it is our responsibility. And I would encourage you, strongly encourage you as we head into this next year, to make certain that both your private life and your corporate spiritual life is full of prayer. And that you... you you, you enter into it and you walk it out. We have Sunday nights that we've dedicated to a night of um, praising and praying to the Lord and encountering Him. Men, you have the Tuesday morning prayer meeting. There are other prayer meetings that happen, of course. Every one of our meetings we are praying and we're offering prayer. Um, and we Take advantage of that. But we should be a praying, a praying church. Not just a church that prays, right? But a praying church. This is our conduct. And you can have that expectation, and, um, and of course, Scripture does, that we as leaders would be praying as well. So he says he's praying that they would be counted worthy of this calling. Notice that in verse 11, the word this is in italics. Have you ever noticed that some words in your uh, Bible are in italics and some are not? The italics are an indication to you that that is a word that is not found in the original Greek, but it's supplied by uh, the translators. Now, don't be bothered by that. I know some people say, well, I just want a word-for-word -word translation. No, you don't. You don't want that because it would be really, really hard to understand that. Now, you, you know, if you've ever been in a situation where somebody has um, uh, translated what, uh, somebody from a different language to you, and they are giving you the words, but they're also helping you understand the context of what's going on. If all they ever did was a word-for-word -word translation, you'd be going, um, I don't know if I fully understand. So don't be bothered by this, but it is good that they let you know when it's there. So I mean, it, the way it would read is, um, therefore we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of the calling. That, that's what's there. But they say this calling, and the idea is that it's referring to something that has gone before. The therefore is taking you back into it. And so what is this calling? Well, it's certainly the salvation call, but it's specifically in this context, it's the call that we have upon our lives to be in the kingdom of God and to be 
um, involved at the coming of Jesus Christ. Now, listen, the coming of Jesus Christ is all about Jesus, but he's coming for an object. He's coming for you. And we are a, a significant part of this, this calling. And it should touch our hearts, and it should, be, it should just be like fantastic in our mind that Jesus is coming back for us. And that is a calling that we have. On that day, we will see Jesus face to face. And yes, we do get to experience him now. And we get to fellowship with him and pray to him. And he does teach us and instruct us. But it is, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, we see in a mirror now, we see in a mirror dimly. You know, their mirrors were not a perfect reflection of themselves back in that day. So they, you know, a piece of shiny metal or whatever, they get an idea. You know, but they didn't have a perfect reflection. Like you can look and see yourselves now. Sorry. You know, we all feel that way about ourselves. Like, wow, that's what it looks like. Yeah, get away from that thing. Where are those things? You know, so, but we see in a mirror dimly. We get to see the Lord now, but then it's going to be what? Face to face. How amazing is that going to be? How wonderful is it going to be to have that? And he says that we would be found worthy of this calling. The calling is um, it's a Greek word, klesis, and it, it means an invitation to experience of special privilege and responsibility. Special privilege and responsibility. That's the call that's upon your life. A lot of you have applied to be into a school and you're accepted. A lot of you applied for a job, you submitted your resume, and you got the job. You, you tried out for a team. You auditioned for um, you know, a band or a, a choral group. And you put your name out there and said, hey, consider me. You didn't do that with heaven. You did not say to heaven, hey, would you consider me? Heaven said, we want you. The calling that God has upon your life, it surpasses any application, anything you engage in. God has called you. Heaven has called you to be a part of this kingdom. And that should impact our life. We should step back and say, as the psalmist, who am I? What is man that you are mindful of him? Why would heaven set its attention upon you? So when we read that we have this calling, understand that the word fully anticipates and has embedded in, in its meaning a special privilege. And it is a special privilege to be called to be a part of the family of God. What a day it's going to be when that calling is fully realized in the presence of Jesus. And he says that he wants us to be counted worthy. This does not mean through some self-effort of your own, you can find a spot in heaven and secure a spot in heaven. That's not what's being taught here. The Lord has called you into this family, and he has placed you in this family by his grace. He sustains you by his grace, and your, the work of salvation will be finished by his grace. Yet that does not mean that we just sit back and do nothing, that we should live our lives in such a way that we are found worthy counted worthy. It's the idea of when a boss walks in or your parents walk in or you are supposed to be doing something and you meet eyes with the person and you know you've not been doing what you're supposed to do and that little glance that happens or maybe it's not a glance, maybe it's a long stare and it's just kind of like it's like yeah I didn't 
do what I was supposed to do. And this is the, uh, the, the sense that we don't, we don't want to have that when the Lord returns. We want him to look at us and with, just without even words, which words will come, but without even words, he can just look at us and say, and we'll know, you did a good job. And we should be found worthy, counted worthy, because we have a special and high privilege and call upon our life. Of course we want to please the Lord. As we've talked about several times, as we've gone through 1 Thessalonians, as there's been a talk about holiness and purity, we're not simply trying to punch a list of the do's and the don'ts. We're trying to please our Savior. This is a heart thing. It's not a moral thing. Let them worry about a moral thing. We're worried about pleasing the one who has saved us and responding in obedience because we love him. And there's a big difference between the two. It's the difference between religion and relationship. And the relationship with the Lord makes us want to be found worthy of the calling that is upon our life. So the question that comes to us is, are we living a worthy life? If today was the day that we were to have the face-to-face, and each and every one of us is going to have a face-to-face with Jesus, if today was the day, would we be counted worthy? Would there be approval in his eyes? Would he say, well done, my good and faithful servant? Is he, in other words, going to call you over and say, give me a high five. I love the way you lived your life. This is exactly what I wanted from you. Um, you, you followed me. You knew my word. You obeyed. And to hear that pleasure and to hear that joy is going to be everything to us. There's nothing's gonna, nothing else is going to matter except his um, approval. And so it is time for us, the people of God, to be done with the lesser things of this world. I didn't say sinful things. That's a given. I said lesser things. It's different. Because the lesser things are not necessarily sinful things. They're what the writer of Hebrews would, when he said, lay aside every weight. And then he says, and sin, this so easily ensnares. It's weights can weigh you down that aren't necessarily sinful. They just keep you from excelling and really doing all that you should be able to do. It just it wears you out unnecessarily. You're carrying a load. You don't need to add to the load. I, there was a time when, when backpacking, Actually, we were hunting, but we are backpacking out in Colorado, and um, we had this crazy, yeah, it's a long story, but we were going, and a huge downpour came. It was so, we didn't anticipate it. Um, we were covering up our backpacks, we had our sleeping bags on there, and we were, we were going. We were way out there, and um, man, all of that stuff started to take on the weight of water weighed down beyond belief. And it, was, it did not go the way we thought it was going to go. And I think that's what happens to us. We have all the right intentions. We're doing the right things. But we just miss this one important thing, like really cover your pack well and make sure that it's waterproof. Because if it rains, you're in serious trouble. And, and these are the things that you've got to look at in your life, is what are those lesser things? What are those weights in my life that's keeping me from being found worthy of the Lord. There's a lot of good things you can do, but if you do too many good things, you're never going to be excellent at any of them. 
And we want, as it says in, in uh, Philippians, that we should approve of those things which are excellent. What passes the gate of your life and your mind should be only excellent things that allows you to fulfill this one thing, be found worthy of the one who has called us. We continue on in verse 11. He says, and this is a difficult phrase, and we'll explore this a little bit. He says, and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. So this is not a trick question. How many of you are reading it NIV or New American Standard or New Living Translation? How many of you have that? Okay, quite a few. So you noticed something different, didn't you? And the big difference is, and if you could put these slides up, so here we're going to be, the point we're talking about is to fulfill the good works. But notice the difference, and I only put the second half of the verse up here for you. So the New King James, which I just read, and it's similar to the King James, and fulfill all the good pleasure of His, and notice that it's in italics, His goodness and the work of faith with power. New Living Translation May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. And then and the difference is, one is, it's my good works. It's the, the desire that I have for good works. Whereas in the New King James, it's the desire he has for good works in me. And second, and then the New American Standard kind of drives down the middle of the lane here and doesn't really land on either side. It says... And fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power. So in the Greek, it is not clear if it's the Thessalonians' desire for good works or whether it's God's desire in them for good works. It's not a big deal because both of them are true, right? God desires to work in us, to will and to do of his good pleasure. We have a new nature, and in this new nature, we desire to walk out the Lord. But I do believe that the, the, the right way to read it, um, and it's just I'm not do- being dogmatic about this. I'm just, my take on this is that I do believe that he's referring to the Thessalonians. And, and, and here's the thought that kind of just brings me to that, and I'll just quote to you from a guy by the name of, of Charles Wanamaker. He says, on the whole, however, it seems best to take it in connection with the readers. In other words, the reader's desire, because the parallel phrase, the next phrase, the work of faith, relates more naturally to the activity of the Thessalonians than to the work of God. So because it's the Thessalonians' work of faith, he also says that it's their desire um, for, for those good works. Both are true. Don't make a big point of it, but I am going to kind of take it that in that direction. Uh, but Paul says he wants these things. He wants them to fulfill all the good pleasure of, of, of works in their life. I want this to happen. The word fulfill means to bring to completion that which has already begun. When did it begin? It began when you gave your life and my life and their life to Jesus Christ. When we became Christians, old things passed away. All things became new. You had a new set of desires and motivations and priorities and wants in your life. This is the work of the new covenant. And when the new covenant come, Jeremiah and Ezekiel talked about how God would write upon our hearts. Right? And that it would be in our heart to do the right thing. When you became a Christian, all of a sudden, you wanted to do the right thing. 
All of a sudden, you were worried about cussing. All of a sudden, you were worried about how you were treating people. All of a sudden, you wanted to live a life pleasing to the Lord. You were born again. And it's in that salvation experience that the desires to do good are placed in our life. And that is the beginning of the work. But Paul is saying here, bring it to completion. Finish the job. Live it out. Walk it out. And the idea here, he says, and fulfill all the good pleasure of goodness. Goodness is this idea that, uh, of, of being concerned about the welfare of other people. It, it's, yeah, I mean, the, I am concerned about your interests. I'm concerned about yours. You're concerned about mine. We're concerned about theirs. How are people doing? And he says, live that out. Now, we know this church contextually, that whole thing theme fits because a couple of times he's referred to them as a group of people that were abounding in more and more in their love for others. And it's the same theme in light of Jesus's return and being found worthy at his coming. Make certain that you are carrying out those desires you have to be good towards other people. That's what the Lord does. When you are outside of Christ, your north is self. That's true north. All the marketing agencies, they understand this. Just watch how they advertise. They understand it. You feel it. You know it. That old man will creep up and try to take the center stage. But when you're born again, it's no longer others. I mean, no longer yourself. It's now others. You become an other-centered person. Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to what? to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. And that's who we become. We become those that are wanting to walk out goodness. We're wanting to consider the welfare of others. And this is a challenge because our flesh, man, it's right there. It's right there to spring back to life. If you give it just a little bit of light and you give it a little bit of flesh, Indulge it a little bit, and that, you're, you, that thing will come back to life. But the Lord is saying that we should crucify that, right? We should, we should put that down and not live selfish lives, dominated lives, where it's my pleasure, it's my joy, it's my wants, it's my interests, it's me, me, me. No, it's not for the Christian. Because there's desires that have been born in you at salvation that the Thessalonians have, and all of us have, to want to care for other people. Jesus said, the world's going to know that you're mine because of your love for one another. And goodness is one of the aspects of, of love. And, and so they will see that. They, the world, when they encounter us, me, you, they should encounter a good person that wants to do good things. Not a person that's seeking their own. And so if we're going to be found worthy of the Lord at his coming, we have to be good people. Not, not like good people get saved people. Saved people that care about people, kind of good people. That's who we are. They should, when the world runs into us, they should run into generosity. When they run into us, they should run into kindness and forgiveness, and they should find mercy. They should find people that are full of peace Enjoy. This is who we are. As we continue on in verse 11, 
we see that these good desires are not generated from us, and I've already made that point, but you just see it right there in the text in verse 11, that these good desires come from faith. It says, and I'll just read to you from the New Living Translation again. It says, may he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. You're a Christian. You have a Christian faith, and that Christian faith produces that within you. It becomes the supernatural, natural work of God in your life. What does that even mean? Well, it's supernatural. God's produced this in you, but it has become just a part of who you are now. So that it feels natural, but don't ever think that it's natural. And I think this is what this, one of the things the Lord would want to say to you. Your desire to be kind and good towards people, that is His working in your life. Go fulfill it. If you could think of one good thing to do this week for somebody, what is it? Or maybe there's something that's just been, it's just been burning on, in your heart to walk out an area of, of goodness, showing kindness and helping people out um, and benefiting them. What is it that the, the Lord is there and prompting in your heart to do? Go do that. Live that out. That's what your faith, that's what your Christianity, that is what the Spirit of God is working in you. Now listen, if you don't see it, why don't you see it? If all you can see is a, your life dominated by the flesh that says, me, myself, and I, and that's all you can see, and you are a child of God, then that is a clear indication, red flag flapping in the wind, alerting you that you have stopped abiding in Jesus Christ. I didn't say you're not saved anymore. I said you stopped abiding in Jesus Christ. Because when we abide in Jesus, John chapter 15, he says that if we abide in him, that we will bear much good fruit. Not a little bit, not a little scrawny grape here or there. Weighed down, heavy laden, branches to the ground, much good fruit will be from our lives and goodness is one of the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5. And if that's not there, if your desire is more about yourself and defending self and taking care of self and not blessing others, then it's an indication you're not abiding with Jesus. And so it's a, it's a, it's a call back to Him. It's a call back to sit down with Him. It's not now, you know, oh, i got to really kind of stir this all up and stoke it up. No, no, no. Go spend time with Jesus. Because when you hang out with Jesus, when you abide in Him, you will find that He's going to produce in you the very things that are in Him. And now you're going to be able to walk it out. You're going to be able to live it out. So this is the, the desire that was within them that comes from their faith. Now, if you were to take it the other way, and you were to talk about you know, God's desire for us, I mean, look, the Lord has all kinds of great things planned for for your life, the goodness that he has for you and the things that he wants you to do. And I just, um, for the sake of time, Jeremiah 29, 11 and James 1, 17. Jeremiah 29, 11 and James 1, 17 are verses that talk about God's desire to do good things in us. But notice at the end of verse 11 how this is going to be accomplished. It says, the work of faith with what? Power. With power. One of the reasons why we often don't step out to do those things that are stirred in our heart and we feel the Lord calling us to do is because we're afraid of failing. 
And listen, I, I, I personally think it's, if it's not the number one reason, it's, it's number two. I mean, it, it's number one or two reason. I hear this so often. In the candid moments when we're honest with each other, it's like, I'm just afraid I'm going to mess up. And this is the kingdom of God. This is like doing spiritual stuff. I don't want to mess up with that. It's not you. It's God's power working in you to fulfill the things that your faith is prompting you to do. Just, just be a willing participant and allow this to take place. The power of God. You don't have to claw and beg and scratch for God's power to be at work in your life. He has baked it into your faith that you would be a person of power. That you, and this is what Paul prays for in Ephesians, that their eyes would be open to know a lot of things. But one of the things that he says, I hope your spiritual eyes are open to understand, is that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is at work in your life. That, what kind of power is that? It's the kind of power that defeated Satan. The kind of power that defeated sin. It's the kind of power that defeats death. It's heavenly power. It is the greatest display of power this world has ever seen is when Jesus rose from the dead. And that is the power that's at work in you. Well, I've never seen this power. Then I would say step a little further. Maybe you're only doing those things which you can, you can um, mitigate failure in if it doesn't work out. I will do this, and if it fails, then it's no big deal. Why don't you step out a little bit further? Why don't you walk out that goodness in an extreme way? I forget which missionary it was, whether it's William Carey or, or whoever, but the quote something like this, attempt th- uh, such great things for God that if he doesn't show up, it's destined to failure. Think about that. Because well, a lot of times, so I'll do this because I know I can, I can do, if, if God doesn't show up, I, I can still do that. And we, don't, we, we live our lives in such a way where we don't have to see the display of the power of God in our life. And we, we have these conversations, well, is God's power still at work in the church the way it used to? And it's the same thing. Listen, that, that is an indictment against us, not the Lord. It's, it's our problem. Because here's the reality. There are plenty of places throughout the world where the church is seeing a great display of the power of God. Just get out there and walk out the good works that your faith is prompting you to do. That's God's work, and it needs God's power. And as a child of God, you will see it. The word, if you're interested in this, this kind of thing, the word power, it's the Greek word dunamis, which is the same one Jesus talked about. They should tarry in Jerusalem until they received. Power, dunamis from on high. It's God's power at work in you to walk out the things your faith is producing that are good and considering the welfare of others that will cause you to be found worthy of the calling. Do you follow all that? That's the logic that that, that Paul is laying out for us. He's just building this case for us. And we wrap it up quickly here in verse 12. That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the point here is good works bring glory to God. It, this kind of answers, verse 12 answers the question, so why should I care? You should care because we want Jesus' name glorified in our lives. I mean, it's a call, right? It's a special privilege and calling upon our life. And it should humble us all and cause all of us just to be kind of like, I can't believe I'm a part of Team Jesus. That he's called me to be a part of this. It just blows me. Yes, it should be that. 
but it's that his name could then even be glorified in my good works. Think about that. The things that you obediently follow the Lord in becomes an opportunity for the glory of God to be manifested in you. That doesn't make you a little God. Don't think that for a second. That's, I'm not referring to It's just that you become a way by which people can see the Lord at work in your life by the things you do. Didn't Jesus talk about this? Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. When people see us live out what he has written on our hearts, those good works, People will stand back and they'll say, who's your God? Who's the one that's at work in you? Everybody? No, Jesus told us that it's a narrow path. But among those that are being saved, when they see those good works, and we don't know who they are, do we? When they see it, it will draw them to the Lord. And ah, what a privilege that you get to, uh, to, to be called and allow this to take place. And notice the deep connection we have with the Lord, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him. Go read John 17, the high priestly prayer, and, and it, whereas, where Jesus prays this very thing, prayer. And, and this, how does all of this happen? It's by the grace of our God, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's God's grace. You're saved by grace. You are sustained by grace. You will glorify him by his grace, his favor and kindness upon your life. So, yeah, I get it. I feel it, too, when those, those good works come up in front of us, those ventures that God calls us to, those steps that he calls us to. And it, it, can make, it makes you fearful. I mean, you look at it, and you, we, have, we understand ourselves. It's like, well, I, I don't know. And, I mean... I, I don't want to make this like the only point I ever make, but I can, I'm just telling you, it's the life I'm living right now. Moving over here was a, I, do you understand what a gigantic step of faith this was? I mean, I, there were many days where I'm like, don't do it. Just don't do it. There's money in the bank. There is all kinds of ministry happening. You got a great place. You do this. You know, just, I'm like, yep, that's right. Just don't do it. Thank you, Lord. And then I get up and I'm like, Lord's like, you got to do it. That wasn't me. And there came that point where it's like, okay, you've got to take this step. And we just, and all of the elders, and I didn't make this decision. Hopefully, you know, I didn't make this decision by myself. All of the elders, we decided to do it. And this is what we felt. If we don't walk down this path, we don't know it as a fact, but by faith, we believe this is his will. And if we don't do this, we're being disobedient and we are being, we're not handling the stewardship the Lord has put in our hands. So if anybody ever tells you, oh, Troy just really wanted it, that's Fake news. I didn't really want it. <laughs> I wanted to walk away from it. But that was what God was putting in my heart. And listen, there's plenty of times where I'm like, oh, Lord, what's happening? And I, the one story that came back to me from Scripture over and over and over and over again was when Jesus told the disciples to get in the boat and go to the other side. And they got into the middle and the storm started raging. I felt like I'd been in some ways, many times, like in a storm for a long time. And just like, I just kept saying, Lord, you told me to get in this boat. This is your boat. This is your storm. And if it's not, then you better step in and fix it because I think it's your boat and I think it's your storm. And, and the Lord just said, it's all right. 
I didn't bring you out in the middle to sink you. And the good works that God is calling you to walk in, he's not calling you to step out to sink your ship because it's his ship. He wants you to get to the other side. And if he wants to make it a little interesting along the way, that's his prerogative. And he will make it interesting. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and your truth and, and the good works that our faith prompts us to walk in. Lord, we want to be overcome with a desire for good works this morning that would bring you glory and honor, that your name would be lifted up, that your name would be magnified. Lord, I know there's already in our hearts and our minds, we, we know what those good works are. You've been speaking to us. You've been working in our life. But Lord, we want to just stop and pause and say, Lord, if you want to say something new to us, speak to your church. Speak to us as individuals. Speak to us as families, as married couples, as single people. What is that work, Lord, if there is more? Would you just allow our faith to grow and would that faith just prompt us to step out into more good works?